Hello, and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We're going to talk about uh, not Christmas movie and then Christmas movies. So it's a a biblical story. Uh Um, It's a version of a biblical story. Well, yes. And of the people before the Christians, pre-Christians, you may know them as the Jewish people. I'm going to really offend a lot of people in this episode without trying at all. So, no, sorry. It's not hard. I love you all. I don't believe in anything. You all win. <laughs> Yay. I don't think you don't believe in anything. So, I am exhausted. It is day three of my bake-a-thon. Yes. I have finished baking. There are three types of candy and five or six or seven, maybe seven types of cookies. I've lost track. There's a lot of sugar in this house. I haven't consumed enough of it. It's 8.30, which is way later than we normally record. So I'm going to hold it together the best I can, and I hope that you all will bear with me. For the sake of those in the audience, we are aware that Jews still exist. They did not cease to exist when Christians came into the world. No, so I didn't say that. So it's pre-Christians, Jews. There was Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. over now. Uh, Last week was Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. I'm so tired. Okay. All right. So, how are you? I'm slightly less tired. I have not been baking. I have been eating, and I'm going to... In the next few hours, settle into a comfortable diabetic coma. Uh-huh. I, I poison everyone. Well. I'm a murderess. At least it was done with love from my friend. That's right. So that's important. Yes, not now. It's from an enemy. No, no. I wouldn't take that lying down. All right. So do you want to talk about this movie? Yes, I want to talk about this movie. So what, now let me ask you a question as a religious person to an agnostic person. Mm. How do you feel about the entertainment value of an Old Testament story for children? For oh, for specifically for children? Yeah, specifically for children, because this is a very strange one. The, this one's rough because this is mm-hmm. not a nice story. Uh-huh. Okay, so everyone, we're talking about the Prince of Egypt from 1998. It is not a Disney film. Yeah. This is, I believe, a DreamWorks feature, uh, and it is about. The book of Exodus from the Bible, Old Testament, Old hence the Jewish people's stories. Uh, and um, yeah, some bad shit happens in Exodus. So I think this movie does an admirable job of telling a compelling story in a way that's not going to terrify children. However, I don't know that this is a story that children need to be hearing now. Well, I think there's going to be a cut-off age for children. For sure. This, this feels like... A, is this PG? I feel like this needs to be PG. It, it should be PG. And I feel like 10 and under. When this film I came, mean, 10 and over. And, and again, we're, we're thinking, we're acknowledging that this is also a very important part of an entire culture. Of course. So they're going to hear this story. They're going to hear a version of the story. Yeah, but... But it's 
I, it's a lot for children right. to take in. There's now. Do I prefer this to a VeggieTales cucumber inside of a whale story? <laughs> I do because I find the VeggieTales very creepy. But um, yeah, this is a this is a tough call for kids. Like I don't because the thing is, like, and the reason why I ask as a religious person to a person who's agnostic and who's raised not inside of religious uh, belief or construct, is that I grew up with, you know, from very little here in Sunday school, there's stories about whales swallowing people right. and one brother killing the other and yeah. children being thrown into a river. This just seems like stuff that kids genocide. don't need to hear. Yeah, so, but that and was the background noise. also the fact that this movie life. was released in December. Mm-hmm. This movie was released on December 16th. Okay. This is a Christmas movie. They uh, have targeted this to children on vacation right. from school. That's a rough sell for me. Uh, yeah. that I just think it's a little... Mm. Now, for those of you who are so unchurched as to not know what we're talking about, the story of Moses begins with genocide. Uh, the Hebrew people have been taken to slaves by the Egyptians, who formerly they lived in peace with. Um, and for several hundred years, they're kept as slaves, building monuments, and which is what Exodus tells us, the building monuments, not necessarily pyramids, but things. Is this Sphinx they were working on, I think? In this film, In this yeah. film. And um, I don't know how much of that is anachronistic, but... Um, Moses is raised as a prince of Egypt. This is just the outline of the story. Yes. Uh, because, why? Because his mom sent him in a basket on right. the river because they were killing right. all of the Again, Jewish boys. It was an attempt at genocide to stop the Jews from reproducing because they were overpopulating the, the, Hebrew, uh, the Egyptians. Too many felt. slaves is dangerous to the slave owners. Right. Um, so he survives in a basket that was pushed down river, watched over carefully by his sister. He escaped the crocodiles. Phew. <laughs> and hippopotamuses in this story. For some the hippopotamuses reason. saved him from the crocodiles. Which true. created their own problems. And by it's true, I mean it's true in the story. In this movie, movie, this is what happens. Um, he is, he, in this version of the story, grows up alongside of Ramesses. Ramesses um, II. Believing that he is an Egyptian. And then he discovers that he very inconveniently discovers an inconvenient truth that he is a Jew. He is of the Jewish people. People. And this um, is Jude- Jewishness as an ethnicity um, it's rather a, than Jewishness as a. As a tribal identification, faith. I imagine. Would be the is that best how way to it put would it. okay? Because yeah, I think at this the, point the the that stuff is confusing and it's very me. contentious, and that's mm. why you know maybe it's that's one of those why I just like, conversations I always kind of steer clear of. If you tell me because, you are Jewish, I just uh, say, oh yay, <laughs> because happy Hanukkah. <laughs> Christians have given Jews enough shit over the centuries that I don't need to contribute to more of that animosity. Right. So it's like if we're cool. You identify <laughs> as Jewish, whatever, whatever that means right. to you. Because I'm not going to be so stupid as to try to get into that argument. But um, so uh, Moses is brought up believing that he's a prince of Egypt. He is not, when he discovers that he isn't, um, 
the acts of genocide against his people begin to weigh on his conscience. Yeah, and I think he isn't he sort of brought to sort of witness. Right, and he sees an overseer beating a Hebrew slave, and it, biblically he just kills the guy, you know, in a fit of yeah. rage. In this movie, it's an accident. Right, so we don't know how much of of uh, an accident it was uh, historically, but in this version of the story. So Moses uh, goes, runs away to the desert. He lives there with uh, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He winds up uh, receiving a message from God who appears as a burning bush to go back to Egypt and rescue his people. Go get your people. Which he does. You have to say, let my people go. After afflicting them with plagues. Well, um, doesn't he say, you need to let my people go. And when Ramses says, right. nah, that's not going right, to happen, exactly. then the plagues come. It's like God goes, you have one chance. <laughs> Do the right thing. And and I believe in the burning bush scene in this film, mm. uh, Moses says, I'll just plead with him and he'll let him do it. And God's like, I mean, you could try, but it ain't going to happen. Which is a little stacking the deck, God. But uh, eventually, as the story goes, and we again, we, you might be familiar with this, or your audience, or our audience might be familiar with it, Moses eventually gets the people to be let go, and then there's a spectacular um, Because escape. everything is bad, and everything goes wrong, and everyone dies. Now, and then, the reason why I say Then that, the Red Sea parts, and then mushes a bunch of people. So, the reason why, again, I ask about the appropriateness for children, the story starts with genocide. extremely violent. It, uh, Moses' motivation for running to the desert is that he murdered somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, the plagues that God brings against Egypt are really extreme. Yeah. Rivers turn to blood. River turns to blood. There's locusts, there's lice, the cattle die, people are covered in boils. Frogs? Yeah, frogs. The frogs die. Uh, and, yeah. and logically, I mean, outside of this, logically, what happens, uh, the first thing would logically lead right. to these other things. There's a logical progression. If the river does turn into something like blood or silt covers it and turns it red, which happens yeah. sometimes in the Nile, mm-hmm. then the frogs naturally would not want to live there. They'd live so on the land. Laid out, they yeah. die, and then parasites and animals begin to feed on their right. carrier, and yeah, then, of course, disease starts spreading. So it starts off a chain reaction. The last two, which is hail falling from the sky that burns you, and then finally the, the one That's that I think... That's hail do. The one that I think is the very last um, of the plagues that, again, made me uncomfortable saying, how on earth are they going to discuss this is in the context of a children's the, film? Is what the, the, the original right, what the Egyptians pharaoh did to them. Did which is to them. The, all of the oldest sons die in their beds. God kills the firstborn of every Egyptian. You, do you put a, is it a cross? Or no, no, no. Do you put lamb's blood on you your door? You put lamb's door. blood. A lamb is killed. What a if young you don't lamb. have a door? And it's put on the, the door frame of your door. What if you don't have it? Then you get together with a family who does have one. Oh, okay. And this is the birth, of course. This is Passover. The Passover. He and, passed over those mm. with the lamb's blood. Hey, and then Jesus is the lamb. Right. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. It's metaphors. <laughs> right. So Christianity accepts the same sort of idea of saying that Jesus is the lamb. And then we use that metaphor in Christianity to this day, lamb that was slain. So it's very important to Jews and Christians, this particular story. Now, again... But it's horribly <laughs> it's violent. really violent. 
It's really looking at the lowest impulses of men. Right. Uh, and I mean humanity, not actual, like not men versus women. Yeah, it's a rough story for a animated musical. Right. Did I say musical? Yes, I did. Yes, there it's are a musical. Songs. There are songs. There's lovely songs. I think some there of them are, are some very beautiful fun. songs. And also, the animation in this movie is extraordinary. Is gorgeous. It is really beautiful. And also, no children should watch this. Ethnically appropriate, I would say also, which is yes. what I liked. They used I, a right. lot of picture or a lot of images that were like hieroglyphs come to life. Right. That was very cool. And the, the figures look like Mediterranean people. Yes. They have Egyptian features. They look very much like the characters that you see in hieroglyphics, like yes. you said. Um, they're all very dark-skinned. Now, the, the, one of the things, what I liked about this is there that... There is no blonde and blue-eyed. Yes. I grew up story. watching... Um, Charlton ten, Heston? Well, Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and... and and Edward G. Robinson and all these other actors. And he Yul really Brenner. shouts, let my people go, in a way that you want to let his people right, go. Right, just like you, all right. So. He's very good at it. This but, is Val Kilmer. He's less compelling well, he's, yeah, as he's, Moses, I would say, voice-wise. Less authoritative yeah. than... And that was my... Uh, I think that what I liked about this film is that it really goes big. Really goes big. There's yeah, a, but once again, for kids... An amazing roster of talent. In this film. Yes. Yeah, the, the weirdest character, the weirdest uh, voice act in this is, I don't know if it's the only thing he's ever done that's animated, but it mm -hmm. wouldn't surprise me if it is. Jeff Goldblum plays Aaron, who right. is Moses' biological brother. Right. And it's disconcerting. So because Valkyrie you know what he sounds like? He sounds like Jeff Goldblum. Right. He never stops sounding like Jeff Goldblum. It's weird. Val Kilmer, Ray Fiennes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, Jeff Goldblum, Danny Glover, Patrick Stewart, Helen Mirren, Steve Martin, Martin Short. It's like this yeah. amazing As soon as list. I saw the priests, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's going to be Steve Martin and Martin Short. And, and that's right. There's some really kind of show tunes uh, kind of bits. Yes. None of those people sing their own songs, though. They got... Stand-ins, real singers to sing right. for them. Val Which Kilmer is, is right. not coughing out a song. That's not what's happening. Which you know, and again, I, I think it's a wonderful idea because we sat through um, Mamma Mia yeah. and listened to Pierce Brosnan, who for some oh, reason Pierce, it's not for you. Felt that he needed to you sing. You are a talented song. man. This right. is not your strength. No, it wasn't it enough just being James Bond? Do you need to sing? Uh, well, anyhow, so I, I appreciate the fact that it is a sort of very first-rate cast, that they went first-rate with the production, they spared no expense, they put really good musical numbers into it. I just question how children are going to react to Rivers of Blood and Yeah, snakes. Rivers of Blood, and there is a, there's a whole snakes. scene where um, when Moses comes back to get Ramesses, it is not Ramses, it's Ramesses, mm -hmm. to let his people go. He brings, he has a staff, and it turns into a snake. And then the two court priests mm -hmm. sort of do magic tricks back, but mm -hmm. then they are bested by Moses' snake staff. And it is a weird 
choice, I think, to have mm-hmm. Steve Martin and Martin Short, these right. two comedic legends, yeah. be the priests of the Egyptian people. Right. Like, that feels very um, dismissive. Well, there's. I mean, the, I guess that's the point, the right? The whole musical number is very funny because they keep pointing out, well, here's all of our gods. Yeah. Look, you like You've got one god? Right. I can top that. <laughs> I've got so many gods. Right. This one looks like a hippopotamus. Or this one. And there's a there's a real thread of that all through the film, sort of like, well, you know, here our Egyptians were low ridiculous gods who all look like monsters and they're all, you know. I would like to say for the record that I do not think that the Egyptian gods are ridiculous. Um, I think they're neat. <laughs> I do. I think well, they're cool. I, no, I'm talking about in the context of the film. In the context I'm, of I'm the, sure the film, they are made to right. look ridiculous. If I was made is, as a child to worship something that had a crocodile's head, I'd probably be... Well, actually, I might be okay with you that, seeing how it turned out. You would be on board right. if it looks like Godzilla. You are we, there. Just to also explain, we have... An, oh, a, we've made a shrine. Well, uh, uh, you've made uh, a shrine. Made a shrine. I just noticed that above the, the library where we, where we live, there's a shelf space, and we just kept putting random things up there, and it began to look like a shrine in, in a household, which uh, half our household is Asian. So, yes, it looks like a... So right now I'm staring at Guan Yin, the Buddha, four angels, uh, some Taoist elders, Jesus the Obamas. Christ, <laughs> right? And Michelle Obamas, and Barack, Jesus Christ, and off to a corner is Godzilla, who is our patron deity of invincibility and resolute will, <laughs> right? Because you know you walk through rockets and they just bounce off of you. That that's the guy that you want to admire. But um, but anyhow, yeah. So so maybe I wouldn't be that that bad. You'd be on board for a crocodile. A crocodile, maybe not a hippo. You have to like make your body. I'm on board for a hippo, hippo headed Mm -hmm. god. Because here's the cool thing about a hippo. Hippo, adorable. Look at his cute fat face. He will fuck (laughs) you up. I love a cute and deadly. If you've ever seen, it's my favorite combination. uh, Jet Li in cute and deadly. What was the film? Unleashed? Unleashed, yes. There we go. Cute and deadly. It's cute that I know that immediately. You don't right. mean the dragon one. No, I mean the one where he basically looks like an eight-year-old. He's um, and He, just he loves ice cream. Causes and of, murder. Right. But it's Bob a, Hoskins, you're a real dick in that movie. It's a really good movie, by the Rest way. Rest in peace. There's one we can recommend, also not appropriate for children. No. But a very good movie. Yeah. You'll um, fall in love with Jet Li, as you should. <laughs> As you should. So, so are we gonna go play? I think we. This is it. This right, is the story. Well, uh, yeah. They do the story. No. They do. They fucking the difference make is the, in the river story. turn into blood. They right. do the story. They do they with songs. Do the murder of the firstborn in a really creepy and weird way, and I don't think there's any other way you can do the murder of the firstborn. It's like a ghost. Well, because um, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Don't don't don't. I don't I think it's true. I'm Don't sorry. piss off the Holy Spirit, seriously. I'm not pissing anyone off. Okay. Anyhow, so um, it's very it's a very sort of creepy scene because it sort of runs around the villages and it sucks the breath out of children's mouths, and it's done discreetly. Oh yeah, like the cat in Cat's Eye. It, it's done very discreetly, <sighs> but and it's done mostly in shadow, like you're watching a Val Luton movie. But and Ramesses loses his son. Ruth loses his son. And then he's like, fine, fuck you, your people can go. But he doesn't really let him go, they chase after him. And then 
Moses parts the Red Sea, which is always an impressive thing in any film, even if it's animated. Mm-hmm. And then the Jews get across, the Jewish people, mm-hmm. I should say. And and then the Egyptians decide the Egyptians to them. get mushed by and the they, sea. It doesn't work except out. Except Ramesses. He is alone spared. And yeah, and that's be sad where forever. the film ends, although they were given like a um, a two or three minute flash forward of Moses. They're like, he's going to Mount Sinai to get right. the Ten Commandments. Okay, the Ten Commandments. And then they're going to fucking wander in a desert that is not 40 years long for 40 years. So somebody needed to get a compass. The Jewish people are not good at finding things. <laughs> you, yes, I would not have I'm that. sorry, but like, that story blows my fucking mind. Right. Because they lived for that long. Right. The only way that that happens is every morning they get up, somebody blindfolds someone, they spin them about until they fall over, and whatever direction they happen to be pointing when they fall over, that's the direction we walk today, and then tomorrow we do it all again. Because if you walk in a straight line... Mm -hmm. You're going to get out of that desert before 40 years passes. What? It doesn't make any sense. The desert's not that big. It's just not. It's not even the biggest desert in the world. (laughs) I don't understand. Guys, I don't get it. Now, we should mention at this point, right now, Amity and I are working on a podcast. Yeah, I was going to th- at <laughs> right. the end of this. But I want to announce it right now for all if the If you like confused. listening to my confusion and his authoritativeness, <laughs> we're definitely going to be doing it on the reg. You're right. never going to be able to get me to understand this. The, the desert part is a hard one. It <laughs> but makes yeah. no, no sense. We had a friend who did her pilgrimage to Israel. Okay. I, I won't mention her name because you, you, you don't want to, you know. I don't know who this even is, but that's fine. Go ahead. Uh, our house guests with the Europeans. And she mentioned it to me herself, like, I drove around that entire desert in a dream it's in not, two days. It's <laughs> not like, that I don't big. Get it. <laughs> but yeah, she was... She was like, sort of, I feel like you could see across it on a good day, <laughs> right. which I know is I, not the case. I don't know that that's the case, but, but she said, yeah, she spent two days in a jeep uh, with uh, her group. Like, it's not even the, it's, it, you guys, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) I am troubled. But we don't get into that in this movie. So let's not worry about it. But yeah, that's, it's, what I find strange is it's such a prickly story. I mean, this is, Jehovah is a tribal god. And he literally fights for his people by smushing everything in his way. Well, and there's we a waited lot of, like a long time. Well, that's though. it. It's, it's very the problematic. It seems. It seems. Yeah, the story is weird to me because it's like, how long were the Jewish people in subjugation? For a very long time. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, I the time's up. Right. And in three and a half months, you're going to need to let my people go, or I'm going to murder all of you. Like it's very abrupt. Like, were you not? Did you not? I understand that you're omnipresent, so all t- like time is confusing mm. to you. But like, like it's a real steep escalation and a real quick drop off. It's also really, really, and I guess that's the part that offends modern sensibilities. It's really violent. Yeah, children die, people are massacred. Um, I mean, I just figure if 
in, in times before, mm. you know, now, basically, shit was violent. Mm. It was hard. You had many babies and didn't name them till they were four because they probably weren't going to make it. Like, yeah. these are, I, I get that, but like, the severity in the short timeline after decades, mm. centuries, oh, hundreds of years, yeah. centuries of subjugation, uh-huh. and then God is like, you yes. know, you've got three and a half minutes. <laughs> and it's like, well, but. It's been fine for centuries. Right. And I understand a pharaoh's unwillingness to be the one. Uh-huh. Like, can we Who gives up and slowly under? raise the minimum wage instead of just, <laughs> like, leaping to a thing? Like, I get wanting to do stuff gradually. Now, he wasn't willing to work with him at all. Right. Uh, but it just, it's a very... It's a it's asking a, an entire civilization to turn on a dime, mm-hmm. which seems unsafe. At at the at the behest of a god that they don't know anything about. Like, it's a it's a big ask. Well, <laughs> it's, it's a big ask. And but it's a. I do I think that the pharaohs should have enslaved those people? No, I do not. That is not what I am saying. It's almost like it's. I was about to say it's a righteous ask, which is. I mean, yeah. Yes, you don't want to promote but slavery it, it in any way, shape, like, or form. But it just feels like, well, your God has a problem now? Right. What about 100 years ago? What about 200 years ago? What about 300 years ago? But now he's got a big mm. fucking problem and he's going to make a big deal out of it? Yeah, yeah kind of fuck you. Like, I don't, like, I get that attitude. Uh-huh. You should have let his people go. I mean, <laughs> well. I'm not on your side, Pharaoh, but, like, I do understand where it's like... You, your God was totes fine with this for a very long time. So uh-huh. you're asking me to believe that all of a sudden he's like, oh, time's up. It's a very interesting read on that. No, no, it is a very interesting read. And again, it's, this is the kind of thing that we're going to discuss in the other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Because there are we answers, have but this an is a unnamed whole Christianity podcast Christianity and coming podcast. in... 2019. Yes. Early and 2019. We're hoping to answer all sorts of questions, not just from the audience, but questions from you. Well, yeah. With individual I segments about things, and we'll discuss that at the end of the program. But yeah. We'll be talking about current uh, events and, right. and uh, through the lens of actual Christianity and not this bullshit not, yes. situation that people not are behind. Political Christianity or one that's expedient to keep wealthy people in charge. But uh, going back to this, yeah, I I don't know that it was successful in making it for children. And there yeah. are lots of stories in the Bible that are appropriate for children. Sure. This one's a big this, ask for kids. It's, right. it's very dark. I see this causing nightmares. Yeah. And I don't know that you couldn't do Joseph and his brothers where the whole lesson is that he learns to forgive his brothers right. and they learn to, to, to beg his forgiveness for what they did wrong. and. He forgives them, and his love is stronger than what they this did. This is him. not Jesus, is Joseph, right? No, no, this is Joseph, uh, who was before. This Moses. is Technicolor Dreamcoat right. Joseph, and gotcha. the whole story is about learning to forgive people who've done you wrong, and how good you, for kids. You this don't fall into good. the temptation I bet of has done tit a for tat, right? And there's a lot of Old Testament stories that are really good for people that you learn a lesson without anybody 
you know, being horribly murdered, being drowned by a, a you know a sea falling on them, yeah, or children being killed. This movie feels like a PG thirteen level of like content. Yeah, I just I, I always wonder, like so, from the point of view of people who never grew up with it, and how parts does of it, it are seem? like legitimately scary. Yeah, well, the, I mean, I knew that mm-hmm. I've read Exodus, I knew the Exodus story, but it's like. Yeah, uh, not for kids, I Jehovah don't think. is scary. <laughs> he is, and this is, yeah. He mad. Lewis Black's thing, Parenthood mellowed him out. Yes, but also, there's a, there's a difference. There's a sort of evolution in the idea of God, but again, that's something else to cover. But for me, I was just like looking at this going, I don't know. If, like, it's a beautiful as movie. As a person of faith. Being a grown-up while you watch it. I would allow my Alex to have seen it when yeah. he was young, because I'm like, okay, this is God killing kids, you know? Yeah, right. I'm not... Sure, how I feel about it. And then, that. how do you come back and be like, "Well, they fucking deserved it." Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's a hard sell to well, kids. That, that's, that's, to me, if I was uh, little and you tried to sell me on that, I'd be like, right. mm, "Not a big fan of this God who's right. going around." God killing. is love. Here's God killing children. Yeah. Here's like, God turning rivers to blood. Here's God, you know, drowning people. Boils. But God is love. Mm. <laughs> and so that's that's one where, uh, yeah, even with I. I wouldn't know that I would actually, talking to my son, this would be what the story I would tell him or the story I would want him to see. And do you think that this is a movie that was targeted to all children, Christian children, or Jewish children? I think it was targeted to all children um, because they tried to. And often when you watched older movies, you're watching biblical movies that were like the Ten Commandments or whatever, um, they try to find some sort of uh, semblance to conditions that we're struggling with. Right. Like the Ten Commandments, it was made in the 50s. There's a lot of talk about founding a, um, a nation where there is no slavery, and there's obvious it's references a civ- to civil rights right. stuff, yeah. Um, and it's kind of a civil rights story. That's how they, they framed it, and they right. framed it that way here, too. This is really about slavery and about genocide, and about, but it's not about how the extremes that you go to to stop this from happening. Or the, you know, that's ancillary, or that's separate from. Um, Wait, how can I put it? The the extremes that God goes through to let the, to make Pharaoh let the people go isn't what they're addressing. They're going to make this a matter about slavery and right. genocide. Right. That's what we're going to focus on. So even the the concern that you raised about how do you turn an entire culture, an entire economy, abruptly, they don't even talk about that. He just says, that. "I'm not doing it." Right. They're they're just. Slaves. We come back to over right, and, and over again. That's what they keep. So that's as something that a right. dehumanizing of the Jewish. We people. as Americans or Westerners can understand slavery is wrong. So therefore, it's right. really going to be about slavery, not about all these other issues that issues, it could right. be about. Right. But um, and so yeah, in biblical films, even the fifties or sixties, there was always some sort of trying to appeal to something that we could hang our hang on to because. The ancient world's mindset was life was cheap and you no know, terrible things could happen to you. Yeah. So, um, and it was just very matter of fact about people dying or people being put, in, you know, babies being drowned in a river full of crocodiles. And oddly, that image keeps coming up in this film. Mm. There's hieroglyphs, there's nightmares, there's a nightmare that Moses has once he learns that he's Jewish or he's Hebrew um, of children being thrown to crocodiles. Mm-hmm. And that image keeps coming up again and again and again. Thing. Let's not show children that, right? And so, 
I don't even think in the Bible it says explicitly that children were eaten by crocodiles, just that they were drowned in the river, which I'm not sure is any better, but the image of being eaten by a crocodile is really used in this film over and over again. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can recommend the film if you're older, if you have some sort of sense of the story, maybe, and it's not going to be frightening. I don't know what to tell people who are like, this is a, a, a really well-crafted, really lovingly made movie with a lot of talent behind it, but I don't know. I don't know that it's appropriate for this is your kid's first taste of organized religion is this. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I don't know that this, I feel like this is a 13 and over film. It is beautiful. Uh-huh. The music is, you know, fine. You like it. Well, there's one song in particular that was... I had no recollection of it, but right. you remembered it from when it came when out. When Whitney Houston and... Um, good Lord, who was the... There was a, a single that was released from here, or there was a... I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, it was... Um, Whitney Houston and... Um, I'm missing it right now. Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey. Actually yeah, I have no. And that was a big that. deal at the time. Uh, and the, yeah, the, it was. Uh, it had a really good soundtrack. It, there was. Um, you get to hear Michelle Pfeiffer sing. Yeah. Which is contradicts what you said earlier. Actually, Michelle Pfeiffer gets to sing. Oh. Because we forget that Michelle Pfeiffer can sing. She was. I don't know that she can sing, but I presume she can, and it's because of the fabulous Baker voice. I've never seen it. Well, also the fact that her first big break was Grease 2. Oh, right. So she sang her own part there, too. Yeah. So. I, I went ahead and gave that one a miss. Well, I'm not sure I really appreciated Grease 1, so I, I, I don't know that it was, you know, too much Grease, gave you cholesterol problems, you know. So, Roger Ebert says that The Prince of Egypt is one of the best-looking animated films ever made. I have to say that. I agree with him. This is is the start of CGI. Uh They were incorporating um, computer graphics into handmade or hand-done animation, and they did it in a way that enhanced rather than detracted. Right. Um, Yeah. It is, like I said, very, very beautiful to look at. Um, it, It was banned in three countries. Really? Muslim-majority countries. Okay. The Maldives, Malaysia, and Egypt on the grounds that the depiction... Blah, 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 blah. The grounds that the depiction in the media of Islamic prophets, which include Moses, Moses right. is for forbidden in Islam. I forgot that Moses was counted among the prophets. Also Jesus. So you can't depict Jesus in... Muslim um, countries either. Interesting. Which would be interesting. I knew that that uh, was true about Muhammad. Jesus is considered the prophet. Jesus is to Islam in a way is there's a parallel to what John the Baptist is to Christians. Okay, because like, I know that they refer to Christians as people of the book, right. like and Jews as yeah. Jew, Jewish people as well. I'm gonna try not to say Jews. Right. My understanding is, uh, unless you know me. You don't get to call me that. That's what I've heard Jewish people uh-huh. say. So, Jewish people, people <laughs> who are Jewish. Again, and for I don't people in the audience, we have believe. lots of Jewish friends. So yeah, I'm Hi, just trying to say the right thing. <laughs> David, Shelley, because there man. is a shorthand in right. culture which I don't think is appropriate or nice, and I'm trying not to 
do that. But Jewish culture hasn't been much respected, which is a weird one because it's been largely appropriated into Christian culture. Yeah. And so people believing that they're being, uh, they're paying sort of homage or homage, 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 homage. Uh, to Jewish culture are actually just sort of a respect towards it or acknowledging what contribution it made for Christianity, not what it was to itself or what it is to itself. Um, oh, and per your previous uh, statement about um, subject matter, uh, there is a 2000 DreamWorks animated prequel. Uh, Joseph, King of Dreams. Oh, okay, there we go. That was a much more appropriate story. It's a story. direct to video, mm-hmm. as they often did uh, in the ninety in the nineties and two thousands for animated films. Right. I think there are like nineteen Aladdin movies. Oh, that's a pity. <laughs> um, the first one was kind of rough going at times too. And there is a stage musical. Prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt debuted at Theaterworks in Mountain View, California on October 14, 2017. It had an international premiere on April 6th of this year in Denmark. Huh. So that's interesting. It's their version of a live action, I well, guess. Disney makes live action things and DreamWorks is like, we're making a musical. It's a, it's a story with legs, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah. So anyhow, overall, what did you feel about it? The, what was your conclusion? I thought I gave my conclusion. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I don't think it's for kids. Okay. I enjoyed it. I mean, no, no, you seem to I knew the, same the story, um, so I enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's like let's tuck in with a seven-year-old and watch Prince right. of Egypt. That doesn't seem. Or maybe have a really long conversation with your kids first if you're going to do this. You know, I wouldn't show Passion of the Christ to a seven-year-old. I mean, and because good. Nobody has to come take away your children. That's right. Good. That's good. This is the central event in my version of the faith, but it's a it's it's a, a gruesome gruesome story. So no, it, there's some things that are important to you, and that have relevance to you as a part of your faith or a part of your um your ideals that maybe you don't share with kids or you give them some sort of preparation before you you put this on them. I mean, it did very, 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 very well Mm -hmm. uh, in theaters. Um, It was in theaters for almost six months. So uh, from from December Mm -hmm. through the end of May, uh, and it earned $101 million Uh, in theaters domestically. uh. Uh, and then 117 million overseas. Uh, so that's a lot of, I mean, kids' movies make a lot of money because parents bring right. their kids to see them. And they take multiple times. And too. so, uh, it, uh, it's the highest grossing traditionally animated non-Disney film until 2017, or 2007. That happened in 2007, I wonder. It was outgrossed by The Simpsons movie, okay. which was a 20th Century Fox production. Uh, that, that hurts my heart. But, but okay. non-Disney movie, yeah. traditionally animated, right. it was the highest grossing film. That's and I don't, I barely think that The Simpsons counts. I don't think it counts. So now, there's another thing that you want to discuss today. Yes, so, since I didn't think that was going to be a super long Mm. 
I wanted to have a brief discussion as we're going into Christmas, Christmas and New Year's mm-hmm. uh, about Christmas movies. And, you know, there's the ubiquitous, Guy Hines, the best Christmas movies, as all dudes ever. Um, to which I say, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. No, okay. <gasps> Fight me. <laughs> Because it's a a definition of terms. How about that? Okay, so let's let's define define what Christmas is. I do not believe that the definition of a Christmas movie is a movie that takes place at Christmas. Right. Because another traditionally Christmas movie that I do not believe is a Christmas movie Mm -hmm. is Home Alone. All right, so... I feel like uh, themes of family are important. There may be religious... um, you know, themes that go along with that. Uh-huh. But I feel like themes of family and togetherness are important in a movie. And I do not think that Die Hard nor Home Alone, Home Alone explicitly does not have a theme of family, right. uh, makes that, you know, well, follow- Lethal Weapon also takes place at right. Christmas. I was about to say, following those guidelines, Lethal Weapon is a movie about family and accepting... Le- lethal Weapon to me, more of a Christmas movie. Right, and accepting someone... Than Die Hard. For Christmas dinner who mm-hmm. is not a part of your family and, That's and right. him learning how to live again. That's, so it's actually yes. a very positive movie. I, I feel like like in a, in a Christmas movie showdown, I feel like Lethal Weapon is a Christmas movie all over the place. More than Die Hard as a Christmas movie. So, following that logic, I would like to present that one of my favorite Christmas movies then is Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, we are also. (laughs) We're going to talk about some of our favorites. You know what? If that's true, I don't think it's true because I don't think you really like that movie. No, I I love it. But it is on lists of Christmas movies. It is a movie that takes place at Christmas, it is about family. Um, Is it? It's about a man who makes a decision. Not to cheat on his wife and to stay with her, and then of course there's That's an orgy. Not necessarily sort of about satanic family. Cult and, uh, but so there so religious there there's a religious cult. story too. Okay, because <laughs> there's some sort of pagan orgy or something. But, it's um, bad. So what is that? How does I, that fit into things? Here's the thing. I actually, all joking aside, really like Eyes Wide Shut until the end. Oh, okay. Because I feel it copped out, and up until well, then, did is it the part that? Kubrick didn't have anything right, to do exactly. with it. Right, exactly. Okay, yeah. It's like when it was the suspense movie, whether or not he's being followed. I couldn't focus but... on that movie. Right. Um, it loses me at the single note on a piano for what I can only feel, uh, tell you feels like 27 and a half minutes. Right. I'm out. I can't with this. It's some kind of uh, Also, I don't like watching Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman kiss. It makes me feel bad. Well, I like the... I respect the fact that Tom Cruise really took it on the chin because he's working with with Stanley fucking Kubrick. And so in the film, everything that Tom Cruise promotes in other films gets knocked down. Yeah. At yeah. one point, a bunch of uh, college students come by, shove him, call him short, and call him queer. Oh, good. And so it's That's like... That's what I need in my uh, Christmas no, movies. But, Homophobia. But what works is that it's playing like Stanley Kubrick it's is against all messing of his Tom types. Cruise yeah. is messing with his stuff. At one point, uh, Nicole Kidman jokes about the size of his penis. I don't want it. And it's just nobody like, wants this. I, I don't want. But this. what I'm saying is that I admire the fact that Tom Cruise was like, "This guy's gonna mess with my head, and I'm gonna still do it." So I that's probably one of the few roles I respect That is a thing that for. he would have done then. 
Mm-hmm. There's no way he'd do that now. Yeah, I don't know that he would do that. And I don't think he'd do it for anybody less than someone of that stature. Uh, you're probably right about that. But so. the movie is a very creepy, spooky movie. We're not really going to give this... End. Why are we talking about okay, it? It's not anyhow, good. So, Let's talk about the things that you actually do So why like. don't you start then? No, you. Well, I'll do one and you do one. How's that? No, you do your list and then I'm going to... Because I don't have a whole so list bossy. and you do. Um, no, I just have a few. Uh, now... One of the things I'd like to qualify is that most of these are TV movies. Okay. A right. lot of, yeah. We're we're going with Christmas media. Christmas, things that yeah. come up at Christmas. It doesn't have to be a fucking 87 plus minute film that you could see in a theater. When I was a kid, there was a lot of, there was um, a lot of Rankin Bass stuff on television. Yeah. And that was a company that worked, uh, there were American producers who worked in Japan. They did a lot of, um, Stop motion animation there. Yes. And uh, they were very famous for... Rudolph. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which you can tell just from the design of the puppets and stuff is very Japanese. You look at it now... You I see never realized of, that yeah. until you said that now, but now I'm like, I'm, I'm even thinking about the eyes. Their yeah. eyes, they have like Asian eyes. Mm. Um, I just saw there was a countdown of the best... Santa Clauses in media, uh-huh. and one of the worst, and the worst is the Santa Claus from that. Like, he's a real dick. The year without Santa Claus? No, in the in oh, the Rudolph thing, Rudolph, yes, where he like mocks Rudolph for being born different. He's gonna cancel Christmas because of snow. He's like, he's pretty trash. <laughs> well, that's why. Um, but uh, I really like his character design. <laughs> I like his little mustache. Well. <laughs> So, they did a lot of stuff. This one, I think, when was it made? I guess it was 1974. So oh, was that really late? Um, oh, yeah, they were still doing them. I presume them all, everything like that, uh-huh. this also qualifies as the Grinch and the Frosty cartoon uh-huh. and all the Rankin-Bass stuff. My brain thinks that they're all from, like, 1963. Uh, oh, Peanuts. Um, because... It was all just old. It's right. all just stuff that my parents saw growing up. Right. And then I, you know, because I wasn't born until 1980, so I didn't start watching these until yeah. 83, 84. Yeah. And they were just, so I just put them all, they were just all made in 1963, and they just <laughs> try to love it. Them and every candy corn ever made. It was already made. It was all already made. Yep. We're just I, getting remnants. I, what I liked about this particular movie was that the songs were really funny. And they were very jazzy and very silly. The whole premise is that Santa which Claus... Which thing? Um, which, which one are we talking about? Are we talking about Rudolph? The Year Without a Santa Claus. Oh, The Year Without a Santa Claus. Which is okay. the one, like, Rudolph is the, the company... That's probably the, the special they were most familiar with. Or that we is are. Is that the one with the dentist elf? Um, Santa, uh, Rudolph was. Oh, okay. This is where Santa just is not feeling it one year and decides to cancel his trip. And he's like, it doesn't really matter. People don't pay attention anymore. No one even believes I exist. So I'm just... He's, he's got a real Tinkerbell complex right. happening. But um, there's a really fun, funny set of... And to this day, people who grew up with it can remember the words to the songs. Um, the two... God, what are they? Is that the Heat Miser? I'm right. Gonna, and is it's it Cold Miser? Yeah. It's um, Mrs. Claus goes looking for, for Santa Claus, who's... In hiding, 
And she winds up meeting he with works one day a year. the children of Mother Nature. Yeah, the snow miser and the heat miser. Who have these really funny show tunes that they do with dancing flames and Those dancing snowballs. Those songs are very good. They're hysterical. They're really catchy. The characters are catchy. Um, it was really fun. Uh, it was a really fun animated special because Rudolph was almost experimental when it started. They didn't know what direction this would take. So by this point, they'd hit their stride, and they could do these sort of elaborate production numbers with animated puppets, and put a lot of effort into the music and stuff like that. So this mm-hmm. was this was a step evolving into a different direction. Even now, you look at something like the Nightmare Before Christmas owes a lot to, and the you know uh, Kubo oh, and the yeah. Two Strings, and the, they owe a lot to this kind of stuff. But this was then this was Rankin Bass really hitting their stride with trying to outdo themselves in terms of like more interesting or more developed productions with bigger musical numbers and stuff like that. Mm. So this one was really good. Were they a half an hour one time? This or one was longer? an hour long. I felt like they were um, longer. Okay. Yeah, this one was an hour long and there was they even after this made one about Rudolph coming back for to find um the lost baby New Year. That's right. And that one was a full like slot for a full hour and a half. It was almost like a feature film. And I remember that one being sort of spectacular, And then spectacular they would just too. be on, like, they were ABC shows, and mm-hmm. they'd just be on Disney. Right. I always think of ABC as Disney, because they would have the wonderful world. And I, I'm guessing that like Disney that. bought the Rankin Bass, uh, you know. Oove. Possibly, yeah. Um, yeah, that's possible. Um, but I always thought, yeah, then they'd just be on at some point in December. Mm-hmm. All of these things will be on. Yeah, and I, I liked the their stuff too because there was always sort of like a monster villain to deal with. You yeah. know, in the Rudolph's New Year's, it was a giant, um, a giant vulture, and in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, it's the Abominable Snowman and stuff like that. So there was always some sort of creature feature element to it. So that yeah, was, that no, would be that's one of true. Those. There's like a yeti. Yeah, um, the other one that I would like to point out is. Because I only chose three of all the many, because I really love oh, okay. the, the Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, but I wanted to pick a couple that people might not be familiar with. Uh-huh. And there's so many. Um, there's a film I grew up with called. Uh, you didn't have to find out if these are available, did you? I'll, I'll um, look them up. If I think the Rankin Bass thing would be. Okay, so there's a film that was on all the time when I was a kid. Um. Called uh, Babes in Toyland, and there's a Disney version from the '60s. Yeah, this is the 1934 version with Laurel and Hardy. Oh wow! Okay, there's elements of this film which have not aged well, <laughs> but it, from that, the 1930s, you say? Yeah, yes, I know. Not exactly surprising. But when I was a kid, this was always on. I would watch it as many times as I could because I loved it. But it was Laurel and Hardy being Laurel and Hardy, and their characters who work in. Um, Santa's workshop, and they mess up an order for 66-inch toy soldiers, and they make them into six-foot toy soldiers, and that's how uncommon they are. Laurel and Hardy didn't play Laurel and Hardy, right? Like, they were were playing characters. characters because It It wasn't like Abbott and Costello. No, I mean, they did in in some of their films and their shorts, but in this one... Because it looks like here... Ollie D and Stanny Dumb. Right. So they're playing, well, they're playing sort of like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yes, they're playing fairy tale characters. The entire film takes place on this big. It's it's reminiscent of The Wizard of Oz in that 
it's sort of a fantasy world made up of everything from fairy tales. Gotcha. The story is about the little old lady who lives in the shoe, and yeah. she's about to lose her home because there's a terrible banker who... And there, there's... That's I'm, a real Christmas... I'm not sure that they're <laughs> playing into a stereotype there, too, with the depiction oh, of the banker. Oh, no, is he going to be like a... Does well, he have a big nose? No, his name is Silas Barnaby, and he has a horrible hook nose. He's never played up as an... Ethnic, yeah, but that hook nose is like a thing we found out. Right, we discovered. So, and I didn't know this as More a kid. More apologies to the Jewish people. But, um, but there's, you know, you get to see all the characters from fairy tales. When I was a kid, right. you're seeing versions of Little Bo Peep, and you're seeing Old King Cole, and you're all these characters that you would read about when you were a kid. And it turns scary at one point because the boogeymen come from their caves under the ground and invade the village where all the children are, and. So yeah, that that one I haven't seen it in years, so I don't know how well it's aged. Because apparently there it's, is another one from the sixties. There's which another is a Disney film, I think. if I yeah, remember. Yeah, with correctly. Annette Funicello. It was like they got actors That's who played right. Musketeers and they they got them together. To, but that one from the thirties, I really enjoyed it. It was spooky. It was creepy. It was funny. I got to see fairy. It's so and it has a really happy ending. So I really well, that's always good. That was one I really liked. Um, because I had a bunch of the kinds of things I like in this story. And then the last one would be um, The Christmas Carol. The Muppet. No, no, no. There was a version of The Christmas Carol. I've seen about four or five. The best one is The Muppet one. We've <laughs> talked about this recently. I know, but... I again, need to reiterate, because I really thought you were going to go hard into The Muppet Christmas people, Carol. The Muppet right. Christmas... It's the only one I want you to watch. Okay. Well, I'm overriding everything. There is a Christmas Carol that was produced in 1984 for Hallmark. Okay. For television. That had a ridiculous cast of actors. And it was probably one of the best versions of the story I've seen because it really looks and feels and at times feels like it smells like Victorian England. That's not good. It is. Yes, it's not good. I don't want that. But um, who does it star? Who is George who? C. Scott? Oh right, I know the one um, you're talking about. Then yeah, and the ghosts of they've chosen like George C. Scott is a very like a picture perfect uh-huh. oh, yeah. Scrooge for sure. But the, but I think one of the great choices for this film, on top of the really beautiful production design, it really feels authentic. Was the three ghosts? The th- third actor, I can't even tell because you you never see his face, but right. Uh, Angela Pleasance, Donald Pleasance is very very odd, is physically odd daughter? looking daughter. Yeah. yeah, plays the ghost of Christmas past. Edward Woodward, the original Equalizer, plays the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, Frank Finley, one of the Three Musketeers, plays Marley's ghost. Marley's ghost, okay. And each of the ghosts is played by a really idiosyncratic actor who yeah. brings their weird personality yeah. thing into this. Yeah, um, I'm going to bring something very similar up. When right. I talk. Yeah. And it was just a really good idea just to cast, like, real Joanne Whaley and Nigel Davenport, Roger Rees, Susanna York, anybody who knows we just seen Joanna Whaley in? Well, we did in uh, Daredevil. Daredevil, that's right. And oh, right, so that's right. It's just like a bunch of, it was almost like watching a dry run in some ways for Harry Potter, in which you it just, just went, like all the Brits. get all the British yeah. character actors and put them to one film and then, you know, have George C. Scott at the helm. But it's a really good version of the production. The ghosts are creepy and weird, and the story. George C. Scott makes a beautiful turnaround at the end of the film, and again, yeah. you really feel yeah. that you know it feels cold when you're watching it. Right. You can when Cratchit's dinner, you really get the sense of how how cold and miserable it was. It's not glossed over. It's right. not made to be appealing in that way. It's 
there are genuine people suffering and dying and Scrooge is heartless. So I am going to counter mm-hmm. your George She's Got Christmas mm-hmm. Carol okay. with two Christmas carols of my own. Oh, okay. <clears throat> this is also not a story that I particularly love, but if I'm going to talk about Christmas movies that I do return to, uh-huh. that Muppet Christmas Carol is, beautiful. is bomb. Michael Caine is Scrooge. Fucking Kermit is rat, uh, Bob Cratchit. Forget mm-hmm. about it. Come on, guys. Rizzo the Rat and he's here for the food. Uh, Watch this movie. We just discussed it last week, I think. Yes. Or, yeah, or which two is, weeks ago, yes. Which is just how ex- We've beautiful just brought it, it up. It's homer. phenomenal. Right. You will cry. You will cry in a Muppet movie. You will. Just get get good with it. Something is in my eye. It's so, so good. My throat is choking up. I must have an allergic reaction. The not crying Scrooge movie that I'm going to talk about is Scrooge. Which I've never seen. I would like you to watch it. Because as you were talking about the idiosyncratic Mm. characters and their... um... Now, this is with a caveat that I do not enjoy Bill Murray. I understand it as a character flaw of my own. There's nothing I can do about that. He makes me uncomfortable. He's imperfect in this movie. He is a sleazeball. <laughs> and he is supposed to be a sleazeball. This is a Richard Donner-directed um, movie. The ghosts are... Carol Kane is Christmas oh, present. That's a good one. And David Johansson is Christmas past. Who... I always think is like a singer, but he is not. Um, oh, maybe he is. Yeah, he's Buster Poindexter. He's the hot, really? hot, hot guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's Christmas past. So they are, it is a, it is an odd thing. It is a, not a Victorian, it's uh-huh. set in the 80s? Yes. The movie came out in 1988. So it's set in the 80s, and it is a very 80s movie. Um. But it's super fun. It's super good. It's really—I mean, it really I, is. It's I, very good. I have to say for myself that recently, I've discovered I've been appreciating a lot of movies from the '70s, and I realized that cinematically, I kind of jumped from the '70s to the '90s, and I have to revisit the '80s. The at '80s some point. again, yeah. And I'm just now seeing right. things from the '70s, and I'm like, "Ooh, this shit's gritty." <laughs> right, the '70s were so it was hard to take the '80s because the '80s were pretty sort of plastic and and safe. You think about. Uh, a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark and people jump out of airplanes and land on their feet, which is yeah. something that happens now again. And you go, that's why, like, having been born in the 70s and watching all that, it was very hard to accept this other kind of world where everything was safe no matter how dangerous it was supposed to be. But. Yeah. And then the other two, I'm going to sort of do another two movies, like pair of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, one is definitively, like, Christmas movies set at Christmas, because and the other is a modern version of it that is not set at Christmas, mm-hmm. um, though parts of, I mean parts of it are, and that is The Shop Around the Corner and yeah. You've Got Mail. This is a very sweet movie, The Shop Around the Corner. They're both very sweet movies. Uh-huh. Meg Ryan and Tom, Tom Hanks, you can't go wrong. If you're a romantic comedy person, mm-hmm. that is a dream team. They are so lovely. They only did two films, right? Three. Joe versus the volcano. Oh, that's right. How can I forget? It's the I one really that, that I think, yeah, you'd forget, and then Sleepless in Seattle. And, no, and actually, I really like Joe versus the volcano. That um, was 
Historical. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's her doing a lot of a lot of right. work. Um, the Tilda Swinton of her time. But The Shop Around the Corner is a lovely movie uh, with Jimmy Stewart instead of Tom Hanks. You uh, can't. It's you the can't, same thing, right? You can't go wrong. Right. It's so good. But it it's a these are heartwarming uh-huh. romantic comedies. So uh, they aren't necessarily only Christmas, but I uh-huh. feel like both of them are like. You're going to feel nice after you're done watching them. And to me, that's like the most important thing, especially around this time. They're movies that you can put on when you're like exhausted and stressed, Mm -hmm. and they will de-exhaust and de-stress you. And I think that that's important to me for a Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't necessarily need to watch Love Actually because like a cool six-eighths of that movie are like super problematic. Um, But... So I'll I'll but I'll watch You've Got I, Mail all day every I, I day. And the shop around the corner funny. is just that, but in black and white. You do romantic comedies like I watch movies with dinosaurs in them or something. Yes. It's like you're a Harryhausen movie. It's because right? I, it, it, yes, because you know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. They are on rails, mm-hmm. and I am comfortable with those rails. Just right. take me, just give me a dude that's not too much of a doof for the badass lady that you've got right. in this movie. And I'm a happy camper. So how did you feel about when Harry met Sally? Because Harry is an awful person in that movie for a lot of the movie. To be fair, so is Sally. So you're watching two people grow up together? That movie is a movie that I don't particularly like. Uh Um, I mean, it's not that I don't like it. I do like it. I don't feel like they need to end up together. I'm actually fine if they're they're just platonic friends. Uh Even though it goes against his whole, right. I don't mind proving that character wrong. Let's prove that character mm-hmm. wrong. That character needs to be proven wrong. Uh, I like that movie a lot for the secondary characters. Yeah, the other right. people that yeah. are in the movie are very good. Sally is insufferable. Uh-huh. I love her. I do. I do. <laughs> I can't with that character. She's very aggravating. Right. But I and, and and you only really see her in comparison with the man that she's with at the time, right? And that's just not. Maybe that's why she is insufferable is because mm-hmm. she's around these dudes that are also insufferable, and so she needs to amp it up. I don't know. Uh, it's also too long. I am a person who believes a romantic comedy needs to top out at ninety-four minutes, and that movie is like. Long. I, it's I, very I, long. I feel romantic comedies can go on too long. I think that, um, to me, Val Luton was right in making a horror movie that was seventy minutes. Yes, I, um, horror movies too. I don't like a I, movie, a horror movie that's longer than like ninety-five minutes, right. especially if it's good. I can't be tense this long. Well, I'm exhausted and I need a, a break. A Quiet Place is a good example of it. Yes, of how to do it right. We were like, I was bummed because I was like, oh, this looks good. And then I saw the runtime and I was like, oh, it's going to be short. Mm-hmm. It was as long as it needed to be. Yeah, you couldn't take that for too long. No. Nope. And, and unless you're Stanley Kubrick and you're doing The Shining, you don't need to make a two-hour horror film. No, we don't. You, you don't, absolutely. But you um, and, and some people do and can. Uh-huh. But like, fucking Ed Norton made Keeping the Faith. And that is a rom-com. And it is two hours and 20-some minutes That's long. That's absurd. Nobody... Needs that. Well, Ed Norton also is kind of he also really a loves himself, guy and I think and had so, an yeah. editing. 
you know, he wrote and directed it, I think, and, and had a hand in the edit. That's, that's too many hands, Ed. You need to hand that over to somebody else <laughs> right. who can go ahead and rein you in. Well, the last director who I remember him working with, although there's been someone I'm sure since then would be Birdman when he's working with Alfonso Cuaron, who basically you don't tell him what to do. No, he's not. No, you're not. So that's the kind of director he needs, somebody who's going to take him in hand because he's tried to take over the editing of several movies. Yeah, he really believes his kind own Kind of type. a problematic guy. It's unfortunate because that Primal Fear you know, uh, performance is spectacular. There was a, but then of, he heard that that Primal Fear right. performance was spectacular and you can't get him to stop. There now. was um, a film when they first did the remake for, uh, or first announced a remake for Psycho. We were really... High things that nobody needs and right. Vince Vaughn is terrible for. We, Vince Vaughn, who I don't think is much of an actor. I'm but, not, I am not a uh, fan of Vince Vaughn. I want to be a fan of Vince Vaughn because I like some of the things that he's chosen to do. Right. He gives me a feeling like Bill Murray gives me a feeling. I feel a little ick. It's maybe because the first time I ever saw him was in uh, Swingers. Uh, was it? I... The John Favreau movie? Yeah, yeah I wish I'd never seen either. And uh, he's a real... Ugh. Well, see, I don't... He was an Isle of Dogs, Ed Norton was. Ed and Norton I was... bet that Wes Anderson was like, you need to... Well, there you go. Start working with strong directors. And he's so in can... a lot of Wes Anderson movies, uh, actually, now that I'm thinking about that's it. That's true. Uh, yeah. Uh, was he in uh, Moonlight, Moonrise Kingdom? I believe he was. He was in Grand Budapest. And Moonrise Kingdom. Which was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I don't know. I, I, I saw... I don't know what my full opinion is of the Grand Budapest, because there's so much stuff, there's so many characters and subplots that I thought just took away from the main story that I was interested in. But And I really was there originally to see the, the art direction and the design of the movie, which was really gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's his, he makes yeah. beautiful movies that I don't this care is... about. <laughs> that's what Wes Anderson does for me. So. But, um, but yeah, uh, well, Edward Norton. Well, he comes, don't, he don't. should have done Norman Bates. Ed Norton would have been the perfect Norman Bates, not Vince Vaughn. Ed Norton would have been an incredible Norman Bates. You're not wrong because about that. You, Norman Bates is not supposed to be frightening and, and what? Six foot six or right. whatever. The six yeah. foot six guy, no, you don't. No right. woman is going to feel at ease in a strange enclosed place with Vince Vaughn. I'm right. sorry, you're too big. Yeah. Especially Anne Heshu's small. And also Vince Vaughn sort of played him a lot twitchier than he needed to. I mean, one of the great... Yeah. You right. you combine that twitchiness yeah. with your size, and there's not a woman on this planet who's like, oh, I'm sure I'm not going to get murdered today. They all know it's coming. Yeah. No one's taking a shower. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was a really weird choice, and there were Edward Norton would have been a much better choice for that movie, but... Anthony Perkins, that was the perfect choice. Maybe well, we should have just stuck with him. <laughs> is he not dead? He's gone now. Way too old, anyways. Yeah, but yeah, but that. But also, y'all didn't need to make a shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho. We can always see the original Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock made that. <laughs> I don't understand the shot-for-shot, shot. and it's not actually. Yeah, there's there's some divergences. From, but uh, I don't understand. Yeah. I Mine. feel like that's a student film thing. I yeah. feel Gus Van Sant, you're a real movie maker now. You could just make your own movie. When I was a film student, 
there was we went or have some friends over and do this as an exercise but nobody needs to see it when i was a student we rented a lot of uh vhs tapes that shows you how long ago that was uh from this place around the corner where i lived in alameda and there was a guy there who was just running two vcrs all the time onto a third one because he was editing together a chronological cut of pulp fiction i mean a lot of people do things like that but it was an exercise it was also a useless exercise because that kind of took away what was intriguing about the story to me um but yeah it was just weird that he spent so much of his time he was this was his his life's work i think you know the great work for him um and shooting psycho so close to the actual psycho film seemed kind of like the same thing this sort of pointless exercise that like Topher Grace. Right. Oh, that would have been good. Well, no, no, no. Topher Grace, mm. after he played David Duke uh-huh. in Black Klansman, oh, okay. to sort of wash his mouth out of ra- of racism, he like recut. It was like like all the prequels of the Star Wars movies uh, into one movie or something like that. Like he, that's what he does to. Sort I of thought you were saying that he would make a great. Well, he would make a great Norman Bates, I think. But he like, also would. Yes, no, well, I think. Freddie right. Highmore made a great. Well, <laughs> Norman Bates. He, do, he did. Does yes, I like him very much. He was he's very. Good. He's magnetic to watch. And twitchy. In a way that wasn't frightening. <laughs> Sometimes, not always. Because well, in the Good Doctor, well, he's, he's doing not. the autistic thing in such a way that he gets other across really well, and he did that yeah. in, in both instances. He does a very good other. So, was that the list of your Christmas movies? I know we kept stopping. Um, yeah, just the two sort of mm-hmm. those two chunks, and also, I mean, not Gremlins. <laughs> not Gremlins. I had a bad experience with Gremlins. I watched that movie when I was too young. Uh, I would say also. And it's my ringtone is Linus and Lucy by Vince yes. uh, Graldi. Uh the Peanuts Christmas or Charlie Brown Christmas right. is remarkably poignant yes. and religious without being didactic. Yeah, it's a very mature cartoon. It's a very well, and also the music is banging. Right, it's so it's good. <laughs> we were talking about this, I think, this morning, and I didn't choose it specifically because I felt that was something that people would be really familiar with. Yes. Um, but if y'all haven't watched it in a while, oh, I did have one more thing. Right. This is a thing that I don't know if you have an experience with it. It, it was. It came out first in 1987. Is this going to be a strawberry shortcake? And no, no. Okay. All right. Don't do that to what me. What kind of sexist bullshit just came no, out of no, your mouth? No, no, I'm just... I, I, sometimes you surprise me with stuff. A claymation Christmas is what I was thinking. Actually, I really about. did like that too. Now, I always thought it was the California Raisins Christmas mm-hmm. because this shit was just a shill for raisins. Yeah. Like, they, the California Raisins were claymation, which is not, I guess, a preferred term, but right. that is... This thing is called the claymation Christmas. Uh-huh. It's where I learned what wassail is. Yeah. Uh, it taught me the Carol of the Bells. Uh, it's super weird and great. <laughs> um, Claymation was really the product of Will Vinton. Um, and he was a stop-motion animator who, what, I think he was nominated for an Academy Award for who this. Who was this? 
Will Vinton. Will Vinton. Okay, and this is Will Vinton's claymation Christmas right. celebration. So it's his name is on it, uh, which so claymation is a perfectly reasonable thing. Um, it won uh, the Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Animated. Uh, it came out in 1987. It's only a half an hour long. Y'all, I really thought it was longer than that. It's 24 minutes runtime. Right. And uh, we must have seen it the year it came out. And then it de- apparently it debuted alongside a Garfield Christmas, of which I have no recollection. So good job, guys. And then it would run every year. And there are, it starts with We Three Kings by the Three Wise Men. And this, there's camels that sing. Uh, the Carol of the Bells performed at Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, it's got Oh Christmas Tree. It's, this is, it's like a concert with all these vignettes of various claymation. Right. Yeah, I remember it. It was something. And then the Here We Come a Wassling. So they were, you learn it's not waffling. Like it's this, it's this constant thing about wassail and what is wassail. Um, and uh, it's very good. And it gives you like a goodly chunk of Christmas music. Now you know who the two characters were supposed to be, right? The two characters. There's, it's hosted by two dinosaurs. Oh, that's right. A Tyrannosaurus, a cranky It was Cisco and Ebert. It was Cisco and Ebert. Yeah. And it's weird how much they were trying to get people to understand how movie critics became such a part of the public consciousness that you could see a, like a clay v- dinosaur version of these two people at the time you knew who they were. And it, it, it was... <laughs> but they also kind of feel, feel a little bit like... Um, Statler and Waldor right. from the Muppets. Yeah, except that they were constantly fighting and having the Siskel and Ebert type fights that they used to have on their program. Now, something that that also has ties with your childhood too, mm. Will Vinton, he worked with clay. There's a difference between okay. that and what like Harryhausen does, which are these elaborate puppets. Like puppets, with steel right. armatures and they're... Yeah, because you could see indentations and right. things and that was part of what he would use. Right. Like in the sand and things like that, right. would you see fingerprints and things? And that's like what that. was Will Vinton's kind of thing, and it's still done by Artman Animations. Also does stuff out of clay as well, or plasticine, or whatever they're using now. I'm sure there's you know a modern equivalent, but it's a, it's a different world from stop motion, which is used for special effects, which has you know like right. And it's the first thing I understood, uh-huh. and so I thought it was all clay. No, yeah. Because I was seven when this came right. out, and this was my understanding of what stop motion is. Right. And, and well, the, so... A good way to tell them apart is not just the fingerprints, fingerprints. <laughs> but also that with claymation or that kind of clay animation, things change shape a lot, which you don't do with a, a realistic or more realistic puppet. They don't suddenly change shape or bulge here or bulge there. Yeah, like that's true. Character. But I like that. Like, I yeah. like that, those effects. Um, and I would like to say, uh-huh. uh, Will Vinton just passed. Yes, which is a great day. Very recently. Uh, um, October of this year. Especially the fact that the end of his story was that he lost control of the studio and he couldn't produce the kind of things he wanted to do. But during his time as an animator, he did Return to Oz. He did The Goblin King. Oh, good lord. Which Return to Oz is a terrifying Which was movie. one of the more frightening things that... I mean, 
critics at the time generally were put off by that movie by how intense it was for children. Yeah, that's not a... I saw it too young. Right. It scares me now. But uh, he did the uh, the Goblin King, I think, who's made of stone. And so he did a lot of talking Mm -hmm. mountains and talking rocks. And the other one that he did, which was something I loved, which was The Adventures of Mark Twain. Which was yeah, a feature-length no film that he did. Familiarity with this, uh, which involved Mark Twain. Oh, it's cute! In a hot air balloon, chasing Haley's comet. It was. I don't recall that. The help of two children. It was really, really lovely because there's a lot of Mark Twain references. Three children. Right, three Tom children. Tom Sawyer, right. Huck Finn, and Becky Thatcher. Becky Thatcher. We got a little girl up in here. Um. So, oh, and he worked on the PJs. Right. Which, which was. Is, um, very reminiscent of that same California yeah. Raisin, which I guess there was a California Raisin show, too. Which I saw um, when I was a kid, too. It was great stuff. I feel stuff. like that was on, like, Saturday mornings. Right. I never Back saw when Easter. Saturday mornings was a thing. I never saw the Easter program, um, strangely enough, but Meet the Raisins, I remember. But that's a really fun, like, if you can dig it up, mm-hmm. it's a really fun 24 minutes. Oh, yeah. that's It's kind of legendary, that one, and I think the, the far side... Uh, primetime special. The Far Side had a primetime special? They had a primetime special that aired once uh, because parents <laughs> called to complain that their children are watching a cartoon, the distinctive feature which is blood curdling screams in the background all the time. This feels like uh, people what's are devoured by snakes the and they're that, smoking um, cows. And <laughs> it was very funny, but it only showed once because, yeah, there was such an outpouring of rage. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they thought they were doing. That feels like Don Hertzfeld had something to do with it. Um, that's funny. So, is that how yeah. we come to an end? I think we've come to an end. All right. So, those are some things you should watch. Mm-hmm. Or you could just watch The Christmas Prince. Because mm-hmm. Netflix really wants you to do Christmas that. Christmas Prince? Yes, and The Christmas Prince too. A Royal Wedding. I haven't watched that one yet. Oh, Okay. You don't have to do that. No, we're no, gonna. No. I also want to check out a Christmas Chronicle with the hottest Santa that ever was, Kurt Russell. What is up with this beard? <laughs> and then, oh, Goldie Hawn. They did a photo shoot uh-huh. with. I don't know if she plays Mrs. Claus in the movie, but I think she should. Uh, but she's Mrs. Claus in this photo shoot, and she's like um, something on our Instagram photo was something like. I never thought I'd fuck Santa, but you would too <laughs> if you had the chance. I was like, these two are ridiculous. Also adorable. Yeah. I thought that they had broken up. Like, something in my head was know. like, didn't they break up earlier this year? And I was like, no. Apparently not. Or at well, least they've gotten back There are weird false stories. I remember a whole... Edit. It might have been the Antonio Banderas, Melanie Griffith. No, but there are... Thing. When, I mean, before the, the the internet age really caught on, you could do all sorts of weird false narratives about people's relationships and, no, they, yeah. and they would get put into newspapers. And I think Michael Caine for a long time fought the idea that he was divorcing his wife. Oh, like, geez. Oh, are Michael and Shakira still together? Oh, yeah, they are. Her name is Shakira? She's Indian. Wow. And she... Uh, she uh, he, is Shakira named after her? I want that to be the truth. Uh, she's very beautiful. I um, have no doubt. And she, uh, he fell in love with her because... And, and haven't they been together for like... Forever. 
he, 500 years or something. There's like a that. really cute story about how he fell in love with her because, or he fell in love with the girl in this ad in England. He was watching an ad for, I think it was a drink or something. It's supposed to take place in the, the jungles of India. Oh, no, no, Brazil or something. Okay. And she's supposed to be a Brazilian beauty. And he just wanted to go to Brazil to meet this woman. And somebody finally told him, you know, that commercial was shot here in England. And she's a local. <laughs> and he immediately had to meet Oh, her. she is very beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, of course... Yeah, they've been married since 1973. Right. He wound up getting, she was cast opposite him in The Man Who Would Be King. Indeed. And that was really wonderful because she has to, you know, pretend to be repulsed by him. Although she married Sean Connery in that movie. But anyhow, it's that's a really great movie, by the way. I've so, seen it. Yeah, it is a really good movie. All right. Are we done? We're done. We did it? Okay, guys, next week we are going to close out the year and our batch of movies with 19, or with 2008's What's it called? <laughs> Defiance. Defiance. You have to say it like that. Defiance. Defiance. We're going to fuck some Nazis up. Fuck them up. Yeah. You hate Nazis. And that's how we're going out. How hard fuck is it to say Nazis it's are bad? bad. It's not, not hard. hard at all. It's turned Nazis, out. they're bad. Look at that. Punch I win. Head. Look. And so that is a... Oh, I've forgotten his name. Liam Shriver and Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig is the name that yeah. I was going to remember. Daniel Craig and Leo Schreiber. Not Leave. Leave. Liet. Who we recently saw voicing. Now, we should bring that up. Mm. What we liked. Something that we liked recently that we saw, that we okay. both really liked. Spider-Man Into the, into the Spider-Verse, Spider-verse. <laughs> which is a remarkably good movie. It's so good, you guys. <laughs> well, it's in no theaters. Idea. You should check it out. I had no idea. And Leo Schreiber, I think, is Kingpin, isn't he? Leo Schreiber is Kingpin. And, um... Which, who has a bananas character design. It's so good. The entire animated film is made to look like the panels from a comic book. It's got points. Or a comic strip. And also, you're going to think you're watching the non-3D version of a 3D movie. It's okay. It's not your head. It's fine. And it's the plot is bonkers like a comic book movie probably should be. It involves Spider-Men from different dimensions all so many spider people. converging. And the Spider-Men and the choice of art design for each of them is distinct. So good. So fun. Um, the one who really, you know... Your favorite is Noir Spider-Man. Who is voiced by Nicolas Cage. Who, who I 100% thought was Bruce Campbell the whole day. a great imitation of Nicolas Cage <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, like everything he says is broody and um, uh, but yeah, it's, and he's in black and white and doesn't understand color. It's right. a good scene. It's a really fun movie. It's yeah, it's a really fun movie. And I have to say, if you have the chance, if you have some time off by the holidays, or it because it, it, and it's good for kids. Like yeah. uh, I had a question earlier: Is Bumblebee appropriate for a ten-year-old? It's PG thirteen, and so who knows. This is appropriate for a ten-year-old, and it's, it's not so good. just a children's story. There's dramatic moments. There's You're moments gonna cry. That are really sad. I cried. Well, there's I a shocked. Stanley. Yeah. There's a Stanley animated cameo. Cameo that is. <sighs> it's rough, y'all. <laughs> yeah, it, that was great. The suit always fits, and I was like, oh. Eventually. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna cry right now. <laughs> this is a really good film. And there's a lot of really great voice work in it. It's fun. It's a fun, 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 good. Yeah, fun and good. 
Okay, so next yeah. week we watch Defiance, and we talk about it, and then we tell you what's up for 2019. For the year coming, which is going to be a big year. It's going to be a different. We're going to go back to our roots. Uh-huh. We're going to TV watch. And we're also going to premiere another And podcast. we will be premiering another podcast. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Green Giant. Okay. No. I, mm, uh-huh. It's like building up to <laughs> Okay. So, in the, meantime, in the meantime, we wish you a very Merry, very Christmas. Merry Christmas. We will talk to you before New Year's. Please be safe. Yes, do that. Be safe. Um, yeah, weather everywhere is heinous. Stay warm, stay dry. Stay sober while you need sober. to drive. And uh, we will talk to you next week. You can uh, reach out to us if you have questions, concerns, comments. Or you're really upset. At, <laughs> or if you want to tell us podcast. that I'm super wrong about religion and or Christmas movies, or tell us what your favorite Christmas movie is, um, you can tell us at uh, latecomerspod at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod. Uh, you can find us on our Facebook group and page. Group and page. On Facebook. At the Latecomers. You can find it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We love you very much. We wish you the happiest of Christmases and the merriest of holidays. Haha, <laughs> I ruined it. And remember, better, better late than never. never.